Welcome back to UCT Radio, guys, the soundtrack to your campus live. And you're listening to The Juice with myself, Marion Seymour, and the young and vibrant and stunning Kinsani Koza. Um, if you have been following the show over the last few weeks, we have brought you the Wumandla segment, which it's just been so inspiring and, and it's just so wonderful to, to hear these individual stories. Um, but today we've Absolutely. got our very last uh, Mbogoto. Is that what you said, Kensani? <laughs> yes, the Mbogoto. Yes. <laughs> That's how we say it. <laughs> And we wanted to bring you um, the leader of this institution, the only institution in Africa, and we think the world, that has got an all-female-run executive team. So today, we welcome the one and only Professor Mamokheti Pakeng. Welcome. Thank you so much for doing the Yay! show with us. <laughs> thank you very much, Marian. Thank you for the warm welcome. Uh, thank, thank you. So, um, Professor, like... We see you all over the place doing all kinds of things. So we, we know what you, you're up to now, but please tell us, how, what, what were you like as a little girl? Who was little Hetty growing up? Um, tell us your story right from the beginning. Well, well I mean, I, I have an interesting story and the beginning is tricky because when you say the beginning, you mean when I was born? And I'll say a little bit about that. I mean, I was born in a sack. I was one of those babies born and cold, you know, babies who come in the, in a, in a placenta. Uh, 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 that's how I was born. So my, my birth was pretty miraculous. It was on the 1st of November in a Roman Catholic clinic. And the 1st of November in the Roman Catholic culture is All Saints, Saints Day. Day. Yeah. Was, yeah. They, had never, they had never had a baby born in a sack until I rocked up on the 1st of wow. November, 1966. Wow. Um, and apparently it was quite something, it was quite an event. And I always say, I, I, I strongly think that miraculous arrival um, uh, uh, broke a path for um, uh, uh, many miraculous happenings in my life. Or perhaps that disruptive arrival um, began a journey of a life of disruption. Um, fast forward, I grew up in many places. So. I, from, you know, uh, born in, in Eastwood in Pretoria, black people were moved from there. It was during yes. the, yeah, the, the Blue Area Act, the end of 1966, black people who yeah. were still there were the black people who were refusing to move. So they were forced to move in, in 1967. And so my, my parents moved from there. So part of my, my growing up was in the rural village of Marapiani, which is somewhere in the Hello. border of Mpumalanga, North West, and uh, Mpumalanga, Limpopo, and Gauteng, sort of. Sure. Uh, that's where uh, it, it is. Mpumalanga, North West, and Gauteng, whatever. It falls under Mpumalanga, but it's sort of not really deep Mpumalanga. Mm -hmm. So um, in that village, part of my young life was also in the, in the township of Harangua in Pretoria. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was a life between the township and the village and anyone my age would have that kind of life that yeah. part of it in, in part of it in the township who we were very poor my my mother was a domestic worker um, mm -hmm. i started my school in the village um there was only one school in the village a primary school uh, i think it had only maybe two or four classrooms i can't remember but the grade ones we went under a tree and when it rains we went into the church a grade two you into the church, but I mean, it was quite 
In 12 years of my basic education, I went to seven different schools. Wow. Uh, that's not because I was naughty and being excluded, but that's how poverty worked. Um, you moved schools because the circumstances at home changed or you moved because the politics changed. I mean, what young people of today don't understand is that those of us black people who lived during apartheid, black Africans in particular, is that there was a time of home, the homeland system was introduced. Yes. And some homelands changed the education, introduced middle schools or whatever. So some of the moves were because of the family circumstances. Some of the moves were because of the changes in politics. And some of the moves were because this is the end of the, the, the last grade that the school offers. You've got to go to the next. Yeah. So it was a mixture. So I've never spent more than two years in one school in the 12 wow. years of my basic education. Wow. Never thought of it until I finished my PhD and some journalist asked me which school I went to. And then there were just too many. And then I started counting. So I think it was... Even though it sounds like a downside, I think it was a good thing because mm. um, I actually do not, even though my parents say I'm shy, the one, the shyest person shy. at home, child, child at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can imagine my siblings are pretty <laughs> wild, right? Wow. <laughs> so, so even though they say I'm the one who's shy, I, I actually quite build relationships easily because I've... I've had to move from one place to another mm. as a as a child. I got to to I learned uh, very quickly how to endear myself to people, how mm. to get used to situations and just thrive in new new places. Um, so that's sort of the, the the story of my basic education. I loved school. I mean, when you grow up poor um, during my time, there was um, all right. My internet is is unstable. Can you still hear me? We can hear you. Yeah. Okay, so when you grow up poor, uh, I mean, school is an interesting thing. Part of going to school was to run away from home where there's no food. Sure. Um, then you can just be at school and keep busy because otherwise you'll be at home doing what? I mean, mm -hmm. there'll be nothing to do, whatever. So I was actually counting not long ago, a few weeks ago, we were talking at home and I was like, I have actually never missed one day of school in my entire life. Wow. Like whether I was sick or dizzy or vomiting, I would go to school. Sure. Like it didn't matter. But I did that up to even university, masters, whatever. I have never missed one day huh? of school. But it's because for the, you know, school served more than, it wasn't just about education. It was about keeping you busy. It was about connecting with other people. It was you forgetting your problems and your hunger because if you came from a poor family, you wouldn't have a lunch break money. So, so you would go home just to um, take a 10 in the house and go back to school. It didn't matter that you didn't eat, you just went back. So it was quite usual when I grew up um, and we were at primary school, high primary and, and so on, that many of us used to faint by, you know, one o'clock, 12 o'clock, you'd faint. Uh, the teachers never used to stress. They would just take you to the sick room. Uh, huh? If there's an apple, they would give you an apple because we were hungry. It wasn't because we were sick. Sure. Because we were hungry. I mean, you haven't eaten anything. You, you yeah. drank tea. You drink tea in the morning with pap, leftover pap from last night, if you have pap or maybe the 
bottom layer of the pot where you cooked up, you drink tea, you go to school and you haven't eaten by one mm. o'clock, you dizzy, you faint. And teachers knew what's going on. It's because you're hungry. They'll give you sugar, you, you uh, suck the sugar or they give you apple and then you're fine. After school, you go home. You know, it was just the usual thing, you know. So, mm. so it's a, yeah, that was my growing up. Sure. And your, yeah, I know, Prof, your, your stories are very, very, you could actually write a whole novel or even just and Jay, create a series just to, wow, because there's some vivid things that you went through. And having gone through so much, you know, seeing the ups and the downs of life as a whole, how do you think those experiences, you know, prepared you for what you are currently doing today, being the VC of one of the, the prestigious university of, of Africa, of, of yeah. you know, the Southern Hemisphere. You know, I mean, I think, I think every, I think my life experience as a kid has prepared me, has shaped me in so many ways. Most of the things that I do um, in my job uh, and the way I do them are informed by that experience and that experience also shaped my value system. So it's not that it's shaping only what I do. It shaped also, um, you know, how I approach life and so on. So my, pe many people think my relationship with students and how I relate with students starts at UCT. You've mm. got to check my journey at VETS. I spent 12 years at VETS. Mm. Up to today, the students know me. That's, I relate with students in a particular way. I spent eight years at UNISA. It's an open distance learning university. Uh, and yet I created opportunities to engage with students. Mm. So, but it's because I see myself in the students. I see myself, many of the students who come to university, who come from poor backgrounds. Um, like I look at them and I see myself and I keep thinking, this is what they are now. Nobody knows what they're going to be. And, and I know how other people created opportunities for me. So uh, the fact that I have a foundation, it's got everything to do with who I am. What I do with my money, it's got everything to do with, with, with how I grew up. Um, the fact that I donate 10% of my salary every month since I became VC has got everything to do with how I grew up and how I see the difference that I can make from the difference that other people make. And, and I know, um, yeah, I know that even though it looks, it looks um, insignificant, if it's just my salary, it is actually significant. Yeah, and it's, it's like the story deal. of, it is, it's like, yeah, yeah. You, 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 every one person you, you, you help can sign it. Um, uh, uh, it needs that help. You might not be able to help everybody. You might not be able to save the whole world, but that one or two or three that in my lifetime, I'm able to, to help hold hand and, and assist is, is needed. If each one of us did that, the world would be a much better place. So it's shaped yeah. what I do. It's, I mean, one of the things is my fear of poverty. I mean, mm. when I went to university, I, I, had, I was registered for a four-year degree. My parents said to me, four years, that's it. Like, sure. my dad took a loan at work. I had no other time. They said, you, if you don't get this degree in four years, that's it. If you fall pregnant, that's it. You're not going back, right? <laughs> and I thought, if that happens, I'm going to be poor. Like, I studied so much to get that degree. I made decisions 
to help me get that degree in four years. Because I thought if I don't, my life of poverty is going to go on forever. I was running, for most of my studies, I was running away of poverty and I was seeing education as a way out of poverty. Sure, mm. sure. We, we don't so. actually fully understand how much that, that drives you. Um, you know, when I talk about my own academic uh, career, I, I talk about failure. I know failure very well. We, we're friends now. <laughs> I'm, I'm failed so much. <laughs> and it, it took me 12 years to finish my first degree because I kept on dropping out and then coming back in and dropping wow. out again and coming back in and dropping out again. So, you know, the fact that you were yeah. just so determined to do yours in four years sure. is, is incredibly inspiring. Um, I want to ask you about your, your yeah. family dynamics because before we get to your, your actual career, you chose mathematics, which is unusual for a young girl, but um, you were the quiet one in your family. That's very hard to believe, <laughs> I must say. I was, let me tell you, I mean, I'm the only one at home who's never brought friends home. Like, no wow. friend has ever. And then, of course, I've got a sister. We, we've got a gap of about 15 months between us, age mm -hmm. gap. Yeah. And all her friends became my friends. It's not like I went around looking for friends. She got the friends <laughs> and, then they liked, and then they liked me. And then they ended up being my friends. And then she had so much that she was left with That's... some, you know. So, so a lot of... <laughs> A lot of, a lot of, uh, uh, growing up together, we grew up like twins and, and, yeah. and it was as if she had the friends and then I get, and then those who like me migrate to me and then she's left with some, you know, but yeah. That's so lovely. <laughs> that is so, so lovely. Wow. But that shows you how shy I am. I mean, how could I, I mean, I think about it, how on earth that I never brought anyone home. I mean, the only friend who came home. Yeah, I was a girl who was working as a missionary. She was working as a missionary. Missionary. Yeah, for Campus Crusade for Christ. And, um, and I was part of the Campus Crusade for Christ. And, mm. and she was a, it was during apartheid. She was in the late 80s and she was white. And she, she loved me so much. And she said, I want to come to your home. And she came. I didn't, uh, I was like, oh, and she came. <laughs> but she came on her own, she, like, I didn't invite her, you know? Yeah. But of course, I never, I never invited anyone home, like, so, but it just, yeah. it just was in the company of my, my siblings, I'm the shy one. That's not to say I'm the shy one in the world, I'm the shy <laughs> one at home. Of the siblings. A crazy, crazy family. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, that is beautiful. It's so, so lovely. We can talk to you forever, <laughs> but uh, let's, just, let's just park it right there for now. Um, yeah. When, when we come back after the break, we want to talk to you about your professional career, um, your uh, life as a mom, balancing work and home, and the tours that you and your son have on Twitter is hilarious. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. This is very active there on social media, but we love to. We love to see it. <laughs> All right, guys, stay tuned. You don't want to miss the second half of this interview. No problem. Welcome back to the Juice, ladies and gentlemen. You are tuned into our Wumanza segment of the Juice. And for those of you who are tuned in for the first time, this is really just a segment where we interview some impactful, powerful, resilient woman figures that we 
are inspired by that we truly just look up to and we find remarkable and we are privileged enough to be in the presence of Professor Mamukheti Bakeng and she is the VC of the University of Cape Town as most of you know already so <laughs> we were just chatting to <laughs> so we were just chatting to um professor earlier on and we were just getting to know her and um so now we're going to continue with the conversation and just further you know dive in deeper and just get to know her some more yeah so um, it's it's such yeah. a cool interview we definitely save the best for last and <laughs> we're very empowered um we heard about her background as growing up as a child but um, Professor, I want to know um, why mathematics? Um, that's not something that young girls do. And I'm sure you've had people told you, no, this is not a job for girls. You know, I mean, I think I was very lucky that I, I didn't know that people are scared of mathematics. Okay. Like all my life, until I went to university, yes. And um, so my parents never talked about mathematics as a special subject. Nobody in, a, in a, the environment that I grew up in talked about mathematics as being hard or not for girls or anything like that. Mm. Um, what, what my parents talked about, my dad in particular, talked about the importance of being excellent in everything that you do. Mm. So, so it's like you had to get the top marks. It didn't matter what subject. So even, which means even if you got a 98 in maths, if you get 20 in history, you'd get a hiding. Do, do you see what I mean? So it wasn't like, it wasn't like, okay, your math is good. So forget about this. No, there was nothing like that. You got to hit everything excellent. And then the, there was also a rule that you've got to be the best, the best in everything you do. So if you want to be a teacher, you must be the best teacher in the world. And I remember saying, how does it, and he said, you've got to go to university. He said, mm. everyone has to go to university. And then I said, what if, what if I want to be a tea girl? And he said, well, you're going to have to learn that at university so that you can be the best tea girl in the world. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so that's the mold in which I, 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 I was raised. And I think I'm very lucky because I think many young people grow up with, already they get fed the message that mathematics is difficult. So even before they experience it as difficult, mm. they, they accept that it's difficult, yeah. even before they know what it is. And mm. so they approach it already with fear, whereas I didn't have that, that fear. And so what, what happened is that when the time came for me to love mathematics, there was no barrier. There was nothing that prevented me from doing that. Do you see what I mean? So, so, and what made me love it was um, uh, in, in, in grade 10, I went to winter school uh, in the township uh, in Kharamkwa during the June holidays. Mm -hmm. And the teacher at the winter school introduced us to Euclidean geometry. Like he started from the beginning, like what's an axiom, what's a theorem? How do they differ? Why can you prove a theorem and not an axiom? If you have a theorem, how do you prove it? How do you know whatever? He sort of made it, make, it's interesting because it was Euclidean geometry, but it made mathematics make sense. Wow. Yeah. And then once mathematics made sense, then I started liking it because, wow, it made sense. I didn't have to memorize. Suddenly, history was the thing I hated because I had to memorize the dates, <laughs> right? Here I am. Here I am. I don't have to memorize. I just got to understand this thing. And mm. so because it made sense and I liked it, I spent more time in it. And so I, 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 I got better at it. You know, so, so it was that kind of thing. And, and I could easily go there because 
there were no negative messages about mathematics around me. So, so that see. was you, you coming up. It was when not. You, when, you, when you got to it was university, did you not get a boys club situation at all? Because I just, I don't see female mathematicians. <laughs> it was interesting because when I got to varsity, for some reason, I, my friends became these boys. I mean, there's a, there's a, 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 a guy, he did a PhD in physics who became my friend. He, I think, I mean, now thinking about it, I, I'm thinking it's probably because he came from a very poor family as well, but we became friends. He was very smart. I became friends with the boys. And, um, and of course, at, at, it was a four-year degree I did. When we did third-year maths, there were two of us girls and just boys. Mm -hmm. When we went to fourth mm -hmm. year, the girl uh, didn't make it, and I made it with the boys. It was me wow. and eight or nine boys. But I didn't even notice it because these half of them, I was studying with them. None of them ever asked me on a date. I was undateable, so. Undateable. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. So, 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 so because I was a nerd. I was a nerd. I mean, you know, so. so You're so fabulous so, now. So like, I, didn't even notice, <laughs> I didn't even notice it until we graduated because when I thought, oh, I mean, like, oh, okay, I was only with the boys. So it, it wasn't like the boys also pushed me out because, mm -hmm. um, I mean, I'm a strong personality, you know, mm -hmm. so they had no chance of pushing me out. I, I suppose they needed me in the group, maybe, right? But I studied with them um, neck on neck and they, they, it, it was good because it wasn't all of them. I mean, like two that I was very close with, they were very smart and um, they were very focused. They came from poor families in the rural areas around here in Gauteng and, and, and we pushed each other to, to pass, you know. So final year math, I, 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 I got a 74%. I was so stupid and so desperate for my degree. I didn't care for the one. It's in retrospect, I'm thinking, damn, I should have one done that. Then it could have been a distinction. <laughs> Just that one, Yana. <laughs> you know, can you imagine a transcript seventy-four? Yeah. You know. So why did they? Why did they deny you that one percent, oh, professors? Mean professors. Anyways, so do you have any experience with, with patriarchy and anything at all? Because it sounds like you pretty much navigated this space quite easily. Well, no, you never. I mean, you see. Intersectionality is an interesting thing. It's a fascinating thing because you're not just a woman. So there's a time when your being a woman is an issue, but you are many other things too. You are black, mm -hmm. uh, but also poor, right? Mm -hmm. So, so as I say, the boys that I studied with at Vasti undergrad all came from the villages. They were all poor. They were as desperate as I am to get a degree. So there was an intersection there. We didn't, we didn't do partying. We didn't do whatever. So, so that was the intersection. But as you go along, I mean, patriarchy is huge. I mean, as you go up the ladder, it gets more intense. Mm. I mean, the, I talk about the masculinity of power. Mm. Uh, it's, it's big in executive management as you mm. go up the ranks. Um, uh, it never goes away because it's almost like executive management is um, a shaped or what is called professional. Is, is defined in masculine terms, that you've got to be masculine in, a, in some way or another. So, so I talk about the, 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 the power of masculinity, but also the power of white privilege. 
these two powers, there's a time when they work together, there's a time when they work separately, but whenever they operate, my view is that the black woman is always the sacrifice. It's always at the end of yeah. the yeah. of the line, if you like, for both of them. Yeah. You know, my sure. goodness. Now I'm panicking. We only yeah. have five minutes left and you've got so much more to talk about. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, so but, let me talk about your strategies. Um, just, I'm just worried that we're going to run out of time and we're going to have to set the meeting up all over again. But can you talk us about your yeah. strategies of overcoming this, this patriarchal intersectionality yeah. rising oh. to the ranks to become the vice chancellor of UCT? You know, for me, my strategy has been you've got to achieve, the, you've got to be the best in your craft so the best in my craft is being a, a mathematics education scholar okay and in the country we have a rating system you don't have to apply but i said i'm gonna apply and i'm gonna achieve the highest ranking so that they do not rule me out on the basis of that because any excuse they have to rule you out when you're a black woman they would use it if you're a white woman it doesn't matter much but if you're a black woman you, you wouldn't be a vice chancellor without a PhD. You wouldn't be a vice chancellor without wow. a strong academic CV and a full professorship. You wouldn't be, mm, right? So, sure. so I make sure, so in the profession, I must tick those boxes, right? Mm. But then in terms of other things, I, I, I've got to, I, 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 the strategy is to be the woman that you are. Don't try to be a man. You are going to fail. Mm, I love that. Be, be the woman. Be the woman. Be comfortable being the woman. Even if, even if they give it to names and they describe it, whatever, it doesn't matter. This is who you are and you are the strongest being mm. who you are. Be the black woman that you are. If they say you are too abrasive, too angry, black woman, that's their problem because that's how they describe confident black. Yeah. That's their problem. Own yeah. who you are. Be comfortable <laughs> with who you are. You have achieved the big, the, the, the big professional things, be who you are, and then you become ethical in your behavior. You know, don't, you know, I keep my, my, my private life uh, uh, private, you know, mm -hmm. don't, you know, I, I, don't, as much as I keep my, my colorfulness and my blackness, what it is, I pursue my private life in my private life. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, otherwise, if you notice, Kensani, Marion, the only people in leadership whose private life in a in a derogatory manner is women who, who had a relationship true. with who you slept with, sure. which which might not even be relevant in your whatever. I mean, when the when the woman who was appointed a CEO of Transnet was appointed, suddenly they were telling us who he dated, who he married, when. What the heck? <laughs> Why didn't they tell us about the guy who, when he was appointed CEO of ESCOM? We didn't even know how many times he was know. married. Good. Mm. You know what I mean? So, so, so yeah. it's, it's that stuff, right? So, so there's things that, so I, I, I just think, be the woman, be who you are. They're going to call your names. Uh, mm -hmm. Something that they see as powerful done by women, they would see it as whatever. If you're decisive, you are this. If you're assertive, you are this. If you are, you're not supposed to be any of these strong things because they expect mm. you to pull off that like men. So, yeah. Oh, goodness. Sure. I'm like, I'm not yeah, my mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I know, Professor 
thank you so much for for dropping so many pearls of wisdom Jay. and i think um yeah especially for many 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 black students who are listening to this it's just yo it's just that extra push to you know we see ourselves in you and we see that you know we are definitely capable of of attaining these incredible you know achievements and accolades and being the best of ourselves so I'm just very grateful for being able to share your story firsthand and um, thank you for sharing with us what you have today. And yeah, we wish you nothing but the absolute best of success. God bless. Um, you're doing amazing. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. you. Thank you so much. And you can make it, by the way. You, you have all that it takes. Oh, um, wow. just, just be focused. Keep working hard. If you make a mistake, forgive yourself and move on. Stay yeah. the course. Stay the it's course. Like, it's like talking up. to my mom right now. Now you know why they call me deputy mother, right? But <laughs> <laughs> Marissa, before you go, I want to ask sure. about your, your weird and wacky relationship with your son. It's like the funniest thing. <laughs> <laughs> On the socials. Because yes. Because he's crazy. It's because he's crazy. Okay, let me he's out crazy. him. <laughs> let me out him. Let me out him here on UCT Radio. It's because he's looking for a girlfriend, and he uh, thinks, <laughs> and he thinks if he has chores with me on Twitter, he'll get the attention of his crush. <laughs> there you go. Wow. <laughs> if he has no comeback, he's not here. He's not here for, to answer for himself. That's it. <laughs> on UCT Radio. Yeah, no, he definitely. I know they actually let him out to dry, but um, I, we'll just have to see what happens. I love it. I love it. I love it. That's oh, it. Professor, thank you so, so much for your time. This cannot be the last interview with you. We've got to bring you on the show. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. I'm quite happy to do that. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you so much, Professor. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. All right. Wow. <laughs> wow. Kinsani?